and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we speak to Andre Bruno, Director of ETF Capital Markets, as he discusses what may be on the horizon for the markets following the latest Bank of Canada announcement. Andre says that economic data is front and center right now, and although markets are relatively quiet, the economy is waiting for the shoe to drop per se when it comes to if and when a recession will come. Andre says if we go into a recession, the question is, are we getting into a stagflation environment? Andre explains personally for him, with all this market uncertainty, it's time to remain defensive. The risk is greater to the downside, so it's important to protect the downside. He further explains the yield curve signals a recession around the curve, but doesn't indicate when. He also says there are a lot of signs right now of a soft landing with employment numbers hanging in there and no major signs of layoffs at this point. He says it would be tough to avoid a soft landing, but not impossible to skirt by it. This podcast was recorded on April 21st, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Okay, so help us stand back. This news has come in. Just put it in perspective of sort of what this news is coming in on top of other things. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, it's a great question, obviously. Um, you know, especially right now, a lot of the economic data is kind of front and center. Um, it feels like it feels like right now markets are a, a little bit quiet. Take a look at the VIX. It's, it's uh, I think, it's from around a 17 handle right now, which is kind of the lowest level it's been in, in, in quite some time. So, um, again, I think markets in a wait-and-see mode looking at the economy, kind of waiting for the shoe to drop, it seems, in terms of, uh, uh, the potential for a recession, uh, which I, I know we've been talking about kind of ad nauseum over the last six months, this feels. Um, so, you know, obviously the concerns around, you know, PMI or even good economic data is, you know, what are the downstream implications for inflation? So obviously, uh, when you take a look at the numbers, we are trending in the right direction. Uh, United States uh, is still running a little bit hotter than Canada. Uh, in Canada, we got down to, I believe it was around 4.3%. Um, so things looking a little bit better on our side of the border. Uh, but ultimately, you know, some of the questions that are starting to crop up now is, you know, if we are going to get a recession, are we going to get into some sort of stagflationary environment? Are we going to, you know, continue to see it? Are we going to see a cool down in the economy, which, you know, coincides with still elevated inflation? And I think, you know, both central banks, whether you're looking at the BOC or the Fed or frankly, you know, central banks around the world, especially in the developed world is, is they certainly don't want a stagflationary environment because that's kind of the, you know, kind of a worst case scenario, frankly. Okay, so I mean, I wonder if we we get to sort of the the positioning discussion here. There's lots of there's lots of different inputs here ultimately, but I think there is a question of what do you do? Do you stay defensive in in a moment like this? Yeah, personally, I I I would like to err on the side of of still remaining defensive. I just think there's still tons of uncertainty out there, especially around the economy. 
Um, again, it seems like everyone is sort of gearing up and kind of waiting for a recession to come by. You take a look at earnings, a little bit mixed. Obviously, we've had a lot of downward revisions on uh, kind of earnings expectations, which you know typically is not a positive development. Um, so, so again, I just given the amount of uncertainty, I still prefer to be defensive. And you kind of think of it in two ways. You know, if we do kind of start printing negative, you know, GDP numbers, negative economic data, and it looks like we're heading towards that direction, you know, I think your downside risk is 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 you know, you know, there's a potential for 10, 15, 20% drawdown if we do get into a, a recessionary environment. On the flip side, if we do kind of avoid kind of the recession and we just kind of trudge along at, you know, 1% growth or, but, but don't pop into contractionary territory, um, you know, if we do kind of resume the more, more upside, I think that's going to be more of a, a slower bounce to the upside. So I think ultimately your risk is greater to the downside. So for that reason, you know, I prefer to stay kind of in those defensive areas of the market, whether you're looking at, you know, your credit allocation or whether you're looking at your, your, your equity allocation. Oh yeah, you were a bond trader, as I recall. So you, do, does that mean you come to this with any more pessimism than anyone else? Because I mean, there has, it's not like it would be a surprise, a recessionary environment. So, so yeah, so I focus on I, on the FX side of the ledger, but uh, I was in the, the, the fixed income group as well. But so, you know, I, I guess naturally I am kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a perma bear, but I do, I do, uh, I do worry about the risks probably more than than perhaps some of my equity counterparts. But, uh, uh, but, but yeah, you know, yeah, obviously when you take a look at fixed income markets, you take a look at the yield curve. It's been signaling kind of, you know, a recession's around the corner. So, you know, it, it historically has been a pretty good indicator pointing towards a recession. Uh, the one thing you do need to note about the, you know, inverted yield curve indicator is that. It tells you a recession is coming, but it doesn't tell you when it's coming. So there has been, it, it, you know, sometimes it's been six months later, sometimes it's been two years later. So uh, that's one thing you need to, to 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 factor in when taking a look at that particular indicator. Uh, but you know, when you take a look at yields, they're certainly not screaming higher this year. Obviously, central banks have, you know, indicated that they're closer to the end. The Bank of Canada looks like we're we're at the end. Obviously, there's there's no more hikes kind of priced into the BOC curve right now. Um, in fact, there is some easing priced in in the latter half of the year. Um, you take a look at the U.S. There is one more hike that's more or less 90% priced in coming up at the next meeting there. Uh, but beyond that, uh, markets are indicating that the Fed uh, is likely to take a pause after that. It's 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 really interesting, sort of the the idea that. Maybe the economy, and let, let's look at these numbers a little bit that came in. Um, maybe the economy is kind of gunning through this, and and that is the other scenario, is that that we sort of have this so-called soft landing that we sort of flip through. Um, what might that look like? I mean, do we have a change of leadership? Do we have what, what what sort of factors do you think work in the soft landing scenario? Yeah, so I. I, I... If you take a look at employment, that's still kind of hanging in there. You did you did point to that data set that that suggests that perhaps there is some softening uh, coming down the pipe. I think U.S. unemployment is sitting somewhere around three and a half percent right now. In Canada, we're at a comfortable five percent. Uh, historically, we're, we usually run a little bit uh, higher on the unemployment number, just uh, uh, relative to the United States. So so both are in good good you know good spot with regards to employment. But also again, what people need to realize is employment is a lagging indicator. So it's kind of one of the, one of the last things to move in terms of economic indicators towards a recession. There, um, you know, in order for us to keep kind of trudging along here, um, you know, especially if you if you look at a, uh, a soft landing, I think employment needs to not, you know, if we see large unemployment, I don't see a scenario where we can kind of avoid the recessionary environment. I think corporate earnings have to kind of keep coming along to some degree. At the end of the day, if if if, if earnings aren't coming in the door. 
if if corporations think a recession's coming down the pipe, that typically portends the layoffs that are coming down. I know we got a few layoffs kind of earlier on, you know, several months ago in the tech industry. Um, so we did see, you know, I know I know certain companies in the sector did did have some layoffs. We aren't seeing tons of layoffs just yet, um, but I have to think, you know, you know, you know, boards and and, and C suites are taking a look at, you know, earnings forecasts moving forward, which are getting, uh, you know, moved lower. Uh, and, and there is a there is a possibility we could see see lay layoffs uh, over the horizon there, which again is going to factor into your consumption, going to factor into your overall productivity. So I mean I I think it's going to be tough to kind of avoid you know the the, the soft landing and, and kind of trudge through, but um, I think there is a you know non-zero probability that we can potentially uh, skirt by here. In terms of factors is it kind of the same thing anyway? So if you're positioning ultimately if you're using different factors within a portfolio with an ETF portfolio, um, positioning for either a drop, a recession, or or sort of a, a slowdown is kind of the same, right? I mean, what what factors are you looking at for that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're we're still kind of biased towards your high quality and your low vol names. Yeah, your low vol still remains to be a little bit of a little bit expensive. Um, you know, that being said, if it's going to work, you know, you don't really care if you're going to pay a little extra for it. Um, so those are kind of the two factors that 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 we're looking at from a defensive perspective. Uh, when you when you take a look at flows, um, you know you have been seeing flows in Canada. We are a, we're a, we're a yield hungry market up here, so you know right. you to see flows into the dividend space. So I think people just like the uh, like the safety of knowing they can clip you know five percent dividend. Uh, and and typically those dividend names are tip, typically your your larger corps, your bluer chip corps, your 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 more quality corps. So there's some overlap with the quality there as well. Uh, but again, yeah, those those are the defensive factors that we're kind of recommending right now. Uh, when you take a look at the, you know, to, to shift a little bit and talk about fixed income, we are we are seeing, you know, duration is getting a little bit more popular. Um, you know, we're still seeing flows into those cash alternatives as well. They're still providing fairly juicy yields. But I think investors are are taking a look at what fixed income returns have been this year. I think we're somewhere around, you know, three three and a half percent, whether you're looking at Canada or United States. Um, so the fixed income trade's been working this year. Um, you know, you talk about uh, duration as well. As we know, if we do get that recessionary environment, duration is going to be your friend. And I think investors are taking note of that, and they're starting to add a little bit of insurance in the way of duration. Uh, when you look at you know, when you look at credit, you know, given that we are, you know, likely late in the cycle here, you know, shifting away from the more credit risky areas of uh, of the market seems like a prudent prudent strategy. So again, looking at your treasuries, your Canada federal bonds, uh, even your investment grade corporates. It was certainly biased to the less risky areas of the market there as well. And, and again, now we are also in a scenario where, you, you know, you can get some yield on your investment grades. Again, if you rewind back to 2021, your investment grades were somewhere around 2 3%. So they're, they're certainly more attractive there. And, and again, it's going to perform that insurance function for you in that, in that uh, recessionary environment. So if we, you mentioned, for instance, the unemployment rate, the differences sometimes between Canada and the U.S. is sort of where the sweet spot for each for each country tends to be. Um, take us into the discussion of where the BOC is versus the Fed. I mean, we're seeing the US dollar pop today. We've got those those PMI numbers, um, but they appear to have different things to look after than, than the Bank of Canada. The Bank of Canada has slightly lighter load on what it needs to prioritize. Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple things. So, so number one, when you take a look at the inflation story, obviously Canadian inflation is lower, you know, 4.3%, I think. I think uh, the BOC had a, had indicated to the market that there's they expect it to get towards 3% by the year end and 2% by by early in 2024. There, it looks like they're on track. 
Um, so at least there's a bit of a sigh of relief there from the BOC. Um, you know, to contrast that to the US, it's still running a little bit hot over there. So, so there is a little bit of, you know, we, we've seen some statements said of, of some FOMC members that they still believe inflation is too high and they may have to continue to, to act. Um, so I think from the BOC's perspective, they, they're probably confident where the rates are right now, uh, given the, the current trajectory of Canadian CPI. The one thing that I think the, 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 the BOC is potentially a little bit more worried about relative to the U.S. again is the consumer. Um, so again, we have the consumer debt levels are still very, very high in Canada. Um, again, overlaying that with mortgage debt as well, you know, there is a big, bit of concern there. Um, housing as a percentage of GDP is, is, is higher in Canada relative to the United States. So obviously there's some concerns around, you know, the consumer's ability to absorb all these rate hikes. And obviously we're starting to see that come to fruition. Now, if you take a look at retail sales numbers over the last, you know, uh, six prints, um, we've had several, we've had several, you know, negative prints there. Um, you know, when you strip out automobiles as well, the story gets a little bit worse. So the consumer certainly is feeling the pinch a little bit. Uh, you take a look again, if you take a look at that consumer debt to income levels, it has trended a little bit lower uh, recently as well. So that suggests that the consumer is deleveraging a little bit, which, you know, for longer term growth prospects is positive. But in the short term, that's, that's taking a hit on consumption. Talking a little bit about, you know, did we think the recession was priced in? I mean, certainly there's been lots of discussion about what last year meant. We saw huge corrections in certain areas. Um, to what extent are our markets pricing a recession already? To what extent do you think they still need to? And, and how does maybe inflation muddy that water? But let, let's start with the what's priced in question. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the I'd say the fixed income market is priced it in. If you take a look, well, the yields have priced it in anyway. Uh, I think credit is uh, starting to price in a potential as well. We're seeing a little bit of widening. Uh, distressed debt levels are, are are increasing. Bankruptcies are increasing modestly as well. Uh, so credit markets and rate markets are certainly responding. Um, you know, equity markets are uh, a little tougher to pin down, but I think to some degree we have priced it in. I mean, earnings get priced in pretty quickly. Um, you know. Based on the year we had last year as well, I think there was a little bit of pre-pricing there as well. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to print down an exact percentage of pricing into the markets, but I have to assume that they, they have priced it in to some degree. Uh, I, I'd say probably priced in more of a soft landing. Uh, I don't think markets have priced in a hard landing scenario. So, so back to the bond markets for a minute. What about all the cuts that, are, that seem to be priced in or that are being expected on work? Uh, yeah, so when you take a look at uh, interest rate probabilities, um, like, like I mentioned earlier, FOMC, they're still pricing in one more hike, 25 basis points uh, at the next meeting. Canada, basically flat, and I think uh, a potential for easing at the July meeting for the BOC. Uh, in the U.S., there is some easing priced in as well. It's not quite, uh, the probability is not quite as elevated as, as Canada. Um, I, I do get a sense, though, that central bankers, if they can, would like to maintain a higher level of interest rates, at least for some period of time. Uh, but again, if the economic data comes out soft, I think I think their hands are going to get uh, forced a little bit and and we could potentially get uh, get into a cutting scenario. Um, if, if I had to play some bets, I think that probably probably be sometime early in 2024. I think earliest probably you know, 2023. And that's just coming down to kind of the forecast of when thing, when, when economists and folks in the market thinks that a recession could potentially come, which right now it's, you know, what the market expects is sometime in the back half of 2023. Yeah. I mean, so is that a head scratcher for you? I mean, it's, it's been a head scratcher for, I think, a lot of people, especially when you see the numbers come in that just came in today. 
that's just it. So when you when you when you get down to the economic numbers, they're mixed. They're not terrible. They're not great. It's just we're just kind of humming along there. So you know, I, I can certainly see the argument for we're going to get a recession, um, but I can certainly see the argument for I think we might just skate by with a little bit of low growth, a little bit of a, a small reset. Maybe we get a few few layoffs here and there, but ultimately we still hung hung along at positive numbers. Um, again, like I said, you, you certainly can make a case either way. And, and again, that, that kind of factors into my thesis why I still like to remain, you know, kind of defensive because, you know, it could kind of go either way. And, and personally, I like to protect uh, for the downside in case we do get a soft or in the worst case scenario, hard landing situation. So it takes back to sort of the flows story. I mean, certainly towards the beginning of this year, well, you'll fill in the picture, but I've got a sense that there were lots of flows into bonds. Is, is that still the case? It is still the case. So fixed income in Canada, anyway, it's taken in more flows in the ETF space uh, relative to equities. Um, you know, during a bull market, you typically see more of that money go into to kind of the equity space relative to fixed income. Uh, when you take a look at the breakdown in there, cash alternatives are still attracting some money in the fixed income space. Again, we are seeing a little bit more of an uptick in, in, in duration uh, products that have a little bit more duration um, relative to last year anywhere, where it was predominantly dominated by those cash alternatives. Um, when you take a look at the equity side of things, um, there is a bit of a geographic breakdown. We are seeing more flows go into kind of Europe, uh, uh, yes. Europe, uh, Europe and Far East uh, developed markets relative to Canadian and North America or North American mar markets, broadly speaking. Um, you know, a function of that is likely just a valuation story. Uh, when you take a look at you know where where kind of Europe is priced relative to North America, it does seem relatively cheap. Um, historically, Europe is a little cheaper than North America, but the, kind of that that historic spread is a little bit wider. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the main reasons you're seeing uh, a lot of equity flows head into international markets relative to North American markets. I mean, European markets are also, or are they? I mean, I, I understand they're more exposed to to China and to potential, you know, the reopening, the growth story. Um, people will quibble over what sort of growth story there is there, but um, they would be more exposed, no? Uh, no, I, I certainly agree, um, you know, because if you take a look at the economic forecasts there, they're not they're not super rosy in Europe either. So no. they're, they're certainly not, um, you know, if you're trying to make an economic argument for why Europe over North America, I don't know that that necessarily exists. Um, but but yeah, to your point, they are a little bit more exposed to, to China. And obviously China was kind of locked down for, for quite some time and they, they have started reopening, um, you know, several months ago, they started to reopen there. So, um, and, and I think you're seeing a spillover in commodity markets there as well. If you take a look at industrial and base metals, they have, they have popped this year a little bit. Um, energy, gasoline's up, uh, WTI and, and Brent, I think, are down year to date. Um, so commodities a little bit mixed there. Obviously, we, we've got the information out of OPEC recently that they have cut production. Uh, so that's likely going to place uh, some upward pressures on, uh, on, on oil prices. I'm sure central bankers everywhere are not pleased with that development because it, it does uh, potentially place uh, some further upward pressure on, uh, on inflation moving forward. Um, what do you hear on, I know that you pick up the phone to, to different different desks, trading desks, bond desks as well. What What is the discussion? I mean, narratives have changed many times this year. Um, certain types of things in the market certainly are normalizing over last year and this year. It's been a lot of changed narratives, goalposts change, whatever you want to, want to use to describe it. But what are you hearing right now? What's being discussed that you can share with us? Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, coming off last month and all the developments in the in the credit markets, with regards to Credit Suisse and, and Silicon Valley Bank, there was um, 
you know, there, there was certainly some trepidation with uh, fixed income traders just in terms of liquidity out there in the market, whether you're looking at credit names, or whether you're even looking at, uh, uh, you know, you know, you know, govies. Um, you know, there, there was some concerns, but offer spreads were widening out. Um, we have seen that come in a little bit, and I think there's a little, little more calm with regards to credit markets just in terms of trading. So uh, not to say we're, you know, everyone's completely calm, but I think, I think you know, the, kind of the worst, uh, the worst bump there is behind us. Um, again, you know, you take a look at equity markets, as mentioned earlier, the VIX is trading at a 17 handle now, so, you know, fairly low. So I think there is a bit of a lull in the market. Uh, hopefully it's not the calm before the storm, um, but, uh, you know, we are going into the summer months, not quite yet. You know, we, we do have a couple more months till, you know, the kids are off school and, and things do calm down a little bit. So it'll certainly be interesting to see how, you know, um, the rest of April and, 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 and May prog progresses going into the summer. I was thinking about something the other day. Um, this was before the pandemic or in the pandemic? I guess it was in the pandemic. But anyway, when, when Jay Powell spoke at Jackson Hole and he said, we're not as fixed to the 2% inflation target. That, you know, we might let that float, might let that move around a little bit. Would this be the time to let that um, move around a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm biased to say no and, and, and simply, it, it seems like a tough pill for, for, for Joe Main Street or Jane Main Street to swallow when you say you've had elevated inflation for a while. We haven't been able to necessarily tame it back to our 2% target, so we're simply just going to move the goalposts and give ourselves a pat on the back. So I think that's, you know, politically, that's a, that's a bad strategy at this point. If, if that's something you want to take up, you know, get inflation back down to 2%, sub 2%, let it run there for a while, and then you want to have that conversation and change your mandate, I think that would be a better time to do it. Not saying I, I support moving the goalposts to 3%, but, you know, if you're looking at it from a strategic perspective, you're looking at it from Jay Powell, that would be a way better time to do it. I think now it would just, uh, uh, um, again, I think, I think the average person would be somewhat upset to hear that the goalposts have been moved and that they should just eat, you know, increased inflation moving forward. So, so the May meetings ahead um, for the for the Bank of Canada, or sorry, for the BOE, for for the Fed, um, the various meetings that are coming up. What what do you think about the hiking process? I know we're almost at the end, but what does that mean for sort of the immediate future? Yeah. So in terms of that, I mean, it looks like the overnight rate will get bumped up to you know at least the five percent range. We've had a couple of Fed speakers say you know we need to get to that five percent to to get us towards our target. Um, I, I think the biggest risk right now, I'm going to talk specifically to uh, to the Fed here, is are those inflation numbers. They need to continue to go lower. Um, if we get an inflation print that prints higher, I think you could see a pretty rapid repricing in terms of uh, interest rate hike expectations. Um, obviously, that wouldn't be positive for fixed income markets. Uh, but again, I, I think any hot prints will will result in a in a rapid repricing. Of, of, of the interest rate probability curve. Right, okay, fascinating. Um, again, with, with sort of the defensive portfolio discussion, um, for those that you know, either have not decided to go down the road of, of looking at fixed income in a more meaningful way, what's the path forward for that? Still time, I mean, it's still okay. What, what do you think? I mean, based on what you just said, actually, like, can people still get into bonds? Is it maybe not the best time to get in? What do you think? No, I, I still think it's a good time. Yields are still attractive. Uh, again, we've had a, a positive year, year, year this year for fixed income. So, you know, the yields aren't as, as, as attractive as they may have been, you know, coming into the year. But nonetheless, they still look attractive. And again, 
what folks need to, to remember as well, there, there's still in, in that drawdown scenario in equities, or in that recessionary environment, there's still room to run on bonds. You know, typically what you see in that scenario is, you know, folks flock to the long end of the yield curve, folks flock to duration, yields come down, bond prices go up. I still think that exists, that upside risk for bonds exists if we do get that drawdown scenario. Maybe your yield to maturity, your yield to worst on your holdings, again, isn't quite as good as it used to be. But again, it's still from a historical basis. When I say historical, going back to 2008, it's still they're still at attractive levels. Speaking of flows, they're, they're going to be sort of the regional banks reporting. Actually, a couple of them have. This is in the U.S. again, trying to get a sense of whether some customers have moved their, their business elsewhere, you know, moved to a bigger bank, for instance. Um, some of that is starting to come out. Do you have any thoughts on, on, you know, do we just need to wait and see on that front? Because that sounds like quite a trend to watch, ultimately. We did, we did actually see flows going into bank ETFs um, around kind of the, uh, the, the minor crisis we had there with Credit Suisse and uh, Silicon Valley Bank. So, so, you know, I think the initial gut reaction was, oh, no, like everyone's, everyone's brains immediately went back to 2008 and said, Oh no, here we go again. And you know, we saw rapid selling across bank names. Uh, I think, you know, after the dust settled a little bit, cooler heads prevailed and some people said, well, you know, I don't think this is the same. Regulators have reacted fairly quickly. This seems contained. So we did see money flow into those banks. Um, you know, moving forward, it will be very interesting to see the earnings of some of those regional banks. I I wouldn't be I don't have the hard numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some folks say, maybe we need to go into one of the big four, big five banks. Um, you know, just just to avoid this in its entirety. Um, what we are seeing anecdotally, just just hearing from uh, you know you know smaller businesses trying to out trying to get access to credit. It looks like credit situations are tightening a little bit. Banks are getting a little bit more choosy with who they want to lend to. I think something that's kind of fueling that fire as well is just they're over. You know, they are taking a look at their overall liquidity position. You know, you are seeing tons, you did see tons of money go into money market instruments around kind of the Silicon Valley Bank. That's money going away from balance sheets into the money markets. Uh, so I think, you know, there are some concerns about liquidity as a result. There are some concerns about the credit quality of their clients. And I think credit conditions are tightening to some degree. So doing a little bit of work for the Fed, actually. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's just so interesting to see whether that will be enough, even though we see other types of um, of indicators maybe pointing to, to inflation still being quite sticky and, um, and very strong. Is there a message you want to leave with everyone here today just to, to sort of tie it up in a bow a little bit? Ultimately, you've told us about the positioning, but what do you think investors should be watching sort of medium term here? Yeah, I, I think folks just need to be cautious out there. Um, you know, there's still quite a bit of uncertainty out in the markets. Um, remain diversified. Um, you know, again, if you're not in fixed income, take a look at your fixed income allocations. I know a lot of people have loved those cash rates, um, but, uh, you know, your duration is going to be a lot friendlier to you in a recessionary environment uh, relative to your cash position. So I think that's a good area for folks to focus. Um, so take a look there. Um, keep a close eye on the economic data that's coming in. You know, if, if it's pointing towards a storm, uh, again, take another look at your portfolio and adjust as necessary. Um, again, the, the reverse is true as well. You know, if we start to see that we think we're, we're coming out of the storm and we're not heading down, down into uh, a recessionary environment, also a, a good moment to take a look at uh, where you're positioned and, and position yourself accordingly. Yeah, it's great to have uh, time to sit down with you and have this chat on a Friday. Andre Bruno, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. 
If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.